Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. Living under divine protection. As I noted last Sunday, I love preaching from the Psalms. We're going to do it again today. There are such interesting, there's such interesting diversity in the Psalms. And what I mean by that is one day we see David exalting God with such passion. And in the next day you may hear him lamenting um, his suffering. How long, O oh Lord? He cries out. And these passages, and the reason I like preaching from the Psalms is because they're, they're filled with these very, it's very human. We see the humanity. David wrote, of course, most of the Psalms, but we see this humanity in whoever was writing. Some of the Psalms were written by other people. Some of you don't know this. Moses wrote, you can read a song written by Moses. And so there, there's many that wrote Psalms besides David. But Psalm 18 is where we are going to be at today. It's a great psalm of praise and exaltation of the love and power of God. And what happens is David is looking back on his life. And he notes three things necessary to experience God's love and protection. And I think you will see those things today. And I know they will help you in your life as you walk with God. So turn to your neighbor right now, say, pay attention. This is going to help you. Anybody in the mood for a little bit of humor this morning? Can we just, just a little bit of humor, lighten the load a little bit, the atmosphere. So a lady dies, goes to heaven, standing outside the gates. She can peer in, though, and she can see people around a banqueting table. She says, that looks lovely. Man, what do I got to do to get in there? Peter's standing nearby. And he says to her, well, you have to spell a word. And she says, oh, really? So what is the word? Peter says, love. And so she spells L-O-V-E. And he says, welcome, come on in. So she goes in, enjoying her time in heaven, meets friends and families that have gone on, members that have gone on in the past and are there in heaven, she's fellowshipping with them, enjoying her time there now in heaven. A few weeks pass, and Peter comes to her and says, look, I've got to be away from the gate for a while. The Lord has me on another assignment for a bit. Could you cover the gates for a bit? Oh, sure. Peter says, I know you know what to do. It's recent enough. You know what happens. So take care of it for me. She says, gladly. She's standing at the gate. Lo and behold, 
her husband shows up at the gate. And she says, I'm so glad to see you here. What's, what, hey, wait a minute. What happened? How have you been? And he said, oh, you'd be amazed what has happened in my life since you left. You remember the nurse that was taking care of you when you were sick? I married her. And then I won a multi-state lottery. And so we bought a huge mansion. And I, since then, we've been traveling around the world and enjoying ourselves with all that had been provided to us. And, but that's what happened. I was skiing. Well, uh, when we were traveling around the world, I was skiing, and, and I fell and hit my head, and lo and behold, here I stand. He said, wow, that looks amazing over there. What do I got to do to get in? She said, well, you only have to spell a word. And he says, oh, yeah? And she says, or he says, well, what's the word? And she says, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> okay. Didn't need help. You figured that one out, right? We're going to talk about divine protection. And by the way, it's not as simple as spelling L-O-V-E to get into heaven. you got to know Jesus, who is the very definition of L-O-V-E, but you've got to know him. We begin by looking at the request for divine protection, the request for divine protection. We're in Psalm chapter 18. I'm going to keep coming back to Psalm 18, even though I'll introduce some scriptures to you. You do not have your typical notes that I often give. You realize this is a short week, and I didn't feel like trying to put that all together for you. So you could just take notes. But I have given you some headlines and some stuff that you could follow along, at least the main points. And, of course, you have the scriptures. This is We're going to begin by looking at verses 3 through 6. Um, the request for divine protection. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Anybody ever felt like that? Floods of destruction swept over me. Come on, that word that came earlier today was something about God breaking through for you. That the storms are short-lived. Here it is, floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap for my path. But in my distress, hear it, hear it, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to God, my God, for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. David had to pray for divine protection. I, yeah, I know nobody has to really tell you this, but David had to pray. You have to pray for divine protection. The fact that God knows everything doesn't bypass your need to call on him. David said, I called on the Lord. 
I called on the Lord. You hear it there in his request? I called on the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. My God heard me when I cried. The scripture says in James 4, 2, you have not because you do not ask. Or King James, because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Note that David is in trouble here when he prays. Anybody ever been in trouble out there? Cry out, Jesus, help me. It's okay to pray when you're in trouble. Yeah, you should be communicating with God on a regular daily basis, even when you're not, and especially when you're not in trouble, because it's a communication process. It's not just about you telling God what you need. I said something about that recently. From David's position, he's at the point of death. He said, the ropes of death entangled me. Sounds like a bad place to be, right? Sounds like David is in trouble. You know or need to be reminded today, you can call on Jesus all of the time, but especially when you're in trouble, you need to call out to him. It's okay to do so. Do you know that God promises to hear our prayers for divine protection? He promises to hear our prayers for divine protection. Verse 6 in that passage reminds us that he hears uh, our cries for help. David said, I cried out to the Lord. Any of you ever wept before God? You were in such deep distress? I suspect most of you have at some point. Something's brought you to the place of weeping before the Lord. God recognizes your tender heart in those moments. He is listening. He is responding. David said, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me from his sanctuary. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Scripture declares you've been bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You've been bought with a price. We just celebrated that just now. By his stripes, we are healed, we sang a moment ago. He paid a price. It's simple for you to sit in the comfort of a sanctuary like this and pray, God, forgive me of my sins. But Jesus suffered so that you could have that. He paid a price. He paid a severe price. He gave up his life. He shed his blood. He took stripes on his back. And I'm not talking about a a little hand spanking. You ever wondered if a spouse or a child was listening to you when you talked to them? Four of you? Every parent has wondered if a child was listening to them when they were told to do something. Don't make me have to tell you this again. You've never uttered those words, have you? So we have the... uh, Request for divine protection, but we're going to move right into the response of divine protection. We're not going to read all of those verses. I'm going to jump around in various verses here, but these, these, what you have in these several verses from verse 7 to verse 31 in 
in uh, Psalm 18. A powerful description of divine protection. And what David does is he breaks it up, or what we can do in breaking down this sermon, into three aspect of God's aspects of God's response to his to David's prayer. And God's first, it's God's powerful response. Verse 7, verses 9 through 10, and then verse 14. I'm going to do this on the front end. God's powerful response. Listen to the language in these verses. You know, language makes a difference. Just words, just simple one word, dawn. You have a description now in your head, don't you? Inspiring. You have a description that, that means something. There's significance to a word like that. How about precipitation? That means something to you today, doesn't it? Significant. Listen to these words. Verse 7 to begin with. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Now you got to stay with it now. Look at verses 9 and 10 now. Okay. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. See the descriptive language here. He's talking about God. He's talking about your all-powerful God. Now look at verse 14. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed, and they were confused. <laughs> Do you remember where we were just a second ago? I cried to the Lord, and he heard me from his sanctuary. And look at God's response. He opened the heavens. He opened up the heavens and came down. He, in other words, God became present in my struggle. Hallelujah. Very descriptive language David used here. And in these pictures... Of God we see and hear him, of him like a thunderstorm, like a hurricane, or like an earthquake. All of that is in the language here. Sometimes you need God to show up with that kind of authority and that kind of power. You need a God that's present and that he shakes the earth on your behalf. Fires his arrows to scatter the enemy. Some of you need God to do that right now. You're in the middle of a mess. You're in the middle of a situation and circumstance. And maybe you opened the door. Maybe you made it happen. Maybe you invited it by something you did or did not do. Whatever the case is. And you're blaming yourself right now for this mess. That doesn't mean God won't show up for you. Oh, well, that was weak. You could be in the middle of a great big old mess that you have even created. You can find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of your mess, he can still show up big as ever. God will be faithful. He's faithful to his word. It don't matter what you do or think. 
know how we got that far ahead. I must have been pushing the button when I wasn't thinking I was pushing the button. When the Bible speaks of God's saving power, it uses the strongest terms in language. Look at that. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and the, also the Gentile. Great power, by the way, without personal intimacy is just scary. Some of you are just afraid of God. And, and for some right reasons, you're, you are just afraid of God. But if you don't, and that's the case if you don't have personal intimacy. Any of you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Let, raise your hands. You've watched The Wizard of Oz. He was scary, wasn't he? He was scary to all of them. Doesn't matter if you're the lion or the tin man. He was scary to all of them till they peeked behind the curtain. And it was Colonel Sanders behind there. <laughs> He's not so scary when you're intimate with him, when you actually know him. God is not scary when you really know him. Yeah, he has awesome power. He created this earth. He has amazing power, but he's not scary. When you get to know him, it's good to have somebody strong and big on your side. God's response divine protection it was awesome and his first response was his powerful response but now we're going to look at his personal response they're sticking with the peas right now god's personal response verses 16 through 19 here's what they say he reached down from heaven and rescued me he drew me out of deep water you see it's personal drew me hear it here are all of the rest, references. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me. Now look at that. He's not denying the attack. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress. They attacked him when he was weak, in other words. But the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Look at your neighbor right now. Tell him you are delightful. He delights in me. God's response is personal. Do you know when David wrote this psalm? It was one of those moments. And your Bible will even tell you this. You read those notes up in the front of this psalm. This is when David had freshly escaped another one of Saul's attacks when he was hiding out in the caves and such. So right after a, an attack, my enemies, you hear it? What did God do? He led me to a place of safety. This is God's response for divine protection. 
Do you know what the Bible says to you? It says of you that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I trust that's your experience. I delight in my personal interaction with the Lord. I delight in it. I hope that's your experience. And if you've not gotten to that point, I hope, I hope that just my words today, if nothing else, this preaching today encourages you to get to the place where your personal one-on-one -on -one interaction with Jesus is just delightful. It's a lovely place to be. There's a warmth, there's compassion, there's mercy in this interaction. I love being in the presence of the Lord. I like it when you guys are around. But I like it more when you're not around and it's just me and Jesus. You, you take that the right way, really. But a personal response that isn't practical will miss the mark. And so it, it, it's not only a personal response, it's not only a powerful response, but it's a practical response. God's practical response in verses 20 through 30. I'm just going to read verses 25 and 26, though, from the passage. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure, but to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. Note the descriptive language again. To the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. That doesn't mean that God is mean. It means that he acts out of wisdom. I should spend more time there, but I'm not going to. David is saying that God's throne room is open to everyone, first for salvation, but then for other needs. So if you come to Jesus, that's a look at that first line. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. You come to Jesus, you have a pure and right heart. You're sincere. He's going to hear your prayer. If it's real to you, all of you that stood up this morning, say, look, I messed up somewhere behind, somewhere in my past. I, I've made a mess of things. I want you to know God was listening to you when you prayed and said, forgive me of my sins. David further states, it's, it's not there in this passage, but he states in verse 27, you save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You save the humble. So if you go the, come to the Lord, it's practical. It's practical. If you come to him and you're full of pride and say, well, yeah, you know, I deserve this. You, you've got to do this, Jesus. He's going to turn his head away. But you come to him and say, Lord, I have made a huge mistake. I've messed up so bad. You have no reason to even listen to me when I talk to you. But, but I'm going to cry out to you in the hopes, Lord, that you'll come to me. And he will. That's what verse 27 says. And we didn't read that there. But it says, you save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. So we looked at the response of divine protection. Now let's look at the result of divine protection. 
the result of divine protection. We're in verses 32 through 45. And once again, I'm not going to read all of the verses to you, but do you know that David experienced victory in, in, against overwhelming odds? Y'all remember Goliath? David experienced, I'll say it again, David experienced victory against overwhelming odds. Even in the choosing of him as to be the next king. When Saul, excuse me, excuse me, when, when Samuel anointed David to be king, he was the least likely of all of his brothers to be the one chosen. Against all those odds, he had big brothers, strong brothers, trained brothers, ready to, to lead in warfare and such. That's not who God chose. Against overwhelming God, well, odds. In these verses, David describes the way God made him victorious. I'm going to break it down now. I'm going to use some E words. God's enablement. Verse 32. Look at what verse 32 says. God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. That's somebody that knew God. You hear him? God arms me with strength. God arms me with strength. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And yet they are mighty and capable of pulling down strongholds. Why? Because God arms you. You make your boast. You make it in Jesus. I can do all things, Paul says, through Christ who strengthens me. God arms me. I am able. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, I'm able. Why? Because God enables you. He arms you with strength. He'll make your way perfect. There's God's enablement, but there's also God's emboldenment. I know that sounds like a word we made up, but kind of it is. God's emboldenment fits the E thing here. Look at verse 34. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He makes me. Sure-footed. You hear it? Emboldens me. He gives me strength. He said, he arms me with strength, and so I am, I am emboldened. I approach bench pressing a whole lot different than I did a year ago now. Push-ups. I'm emboldened now because I've, I've done them a while. I can do them. I know I can do them. I know I could stop right here on this platform and do 30 push-ups. But it's because I've been strengthened by the Lord. I know what I'm capable of. You get your strength in God. You get yourself tied into Jesus real good. He'll embolden you. 
The enemy could shake his fist at you. Listen, David is talking about being in a storm. You're going to face storms, but you can face them with emboldened power given to you by Jesus. Let the devil shake his fist at you. You shake two back at him. Say, come on over here, mess with me. I'll shake Jesus all over you. He gives you strength. You know, I already said the scripture, but I, I'll put it up here now. You, in God's enlightenment, now we're staying with the ease. So look, he not only emboldens you, he, 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 he not only enables you, he'll enlighten you. Let's look at verse 34 before I give you the next verse. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. All right, come on. There's a few of you archers in here. Strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. That has to tell you something. This ain't a wooden bow. This is a metal bow, which means it requires great strength to draw it. But David is not here just talking about human physical strength. He trains my hands for battle. He's giving credit where credit is due. He's saying, Lord, I know that you've got my front, you've got my back, you've got my left, you've got my right. You've got me covered, Jesus. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. And here's that verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons. I emphasis on God. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. He's not even talking about physical stuff here, is he? He's saying that God, Paul, is writing to the church in Corinth, which I just talked about a few moments ago here when, regarding communion. And he, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you can't just fight people with these amazing words and language. No, God gives you ability even to speak. And in your speaking, because your weapons are not carnal, they're given to you by God. You can tear down strongholds of human reasoning. He'll tell you what to say, when you need to say it, and how you need to say it, if you'll listen to it. This is God's enlightenment. He enables us, he emboldens us, and he enlightens us. And finally, that leads us to the V word, victory. God's victory, verses 35 through 45, that's talking about God's victory. And again, I'm just going to break it down into one verse. <laughs> this is awesome. It's all in the 18th Psalm. All of these are in the 18th Psalm. You'll want to go back later today. Read the whole Psalm, but look at verse 37. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. talking to somebody now. That word's speaking to somebody right now. You've got some enemies that you need to chase down and conquer. Chase them till you catch them and then conquer them. You know I'm not talking about physical stuff. That's not the nature of your enemies that we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 2.14 puts it this way. 
But thank God he has made us his captives and can you, continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Hallelujah. That's what I was talking about when I talked about how the, the grave is God's seal or God's stamp saying to you and I, we have something that we would have gotten no other way. Jesus birthed out of, burst out of that grave. He gave us power now to be victorious. He's led us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And James 4, 7 puts it this way. So humble yourselves before God. Why? Resist the devil and he will flee. Not just let you alone. Not just skulk away. Listen to the word. He will flee from you. Let me bring it to a conclusion because God's victory is our victory. It's our victory. Do you know that God intends for you to live in victory? Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Living in victory doesn't exclude battles. In fact, it implies them. You can't be victorious if you're not in a battle. If you're not in a fight, you can't win the fight. There's no fight to win. If you're in a battle, you can walk in victory, though. You may well find yourself at the point of defeat itself. And I'm going to tell you, you look at this psalm, read it again. If you look at this psalm, that is the time God will show up when you're at the point of defeat. Been doing a lot from Corinthians, so let's, let's close it out with a passage from Corinthians. This is, uh, oh, I, I gave you all the notes on the, on the conclusion. Living in victory doesn't exclude battles. On the contrary, it implies battles. And you may well find yourself at the point of defeat itself, but that is the time God will show up. I want you to see this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Sound like something you've heard somewhere today? Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Yet... They produce their seeds. Your troubles can be turned into seed that brings forth good fruit in your life. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now Rather, we fix our gaze. This is Holy Ghost determination. Listen to it again. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Look at your neighbor right now and say, God can do the impossible. Yeah. 
Can you put it this way? God will do the impossible. Now I want you to hear this next line, Pastor Mackay. You're going to have to make your way up to the piano, but I want you to hear this next line. I got it for you on the overhead. It's imperative that we cultivate a victorious attitude. And I want you to note I said cultivate it. It, it, it may not come natural to you. Do y'all know what cultivate means? It's what gardeners do. It's what farmers do. When we traveled up to see Amy's family and her father lives way up in Lockport, New York, which is 20 minutes from Niagara Falls. And you, don't, you may not know this, but the land flattens out a good bit there, and there's a lot of farmland. I mean, you, you get north of Corning, New York, and everything north of Corning, New York is farmland. I mean, you have to go to Rochester or Buffalo, but everything in between is farmland. And there were big, gigantic tractors out in the fields as we were traveling. Yesterday, just yesterday, we saw them. They were cultivating. And they use blades and they'll, they'll stir up the, the soil, cultivate it, preparing the soil. They'll put stuff down. A lot of them were putting some stuff. I don't even know what it was. I think I know, and I'm not even going to say what it was to you. But they were, they were putting some stuff down on their fields, cultivating, prepping the ground so that the ground could bring forth its best. You have to cultivate a positive or a victorious attitude. Cultivate it. How do I cultivate it? You cultivate a victorious attitude by sticking to the Word of God in spite of everything you may see, everything you may feel, and whatever others who have a poor attitude say to you. You have to cultivate it. Eat it. Most of you, it doesn't come natural to you. You're far more comfortable saying, well, I guess that's just the way my life's gone. That's not cultivating a victorious attitude. That's saying, well, I guess I have no options. You do have options. You can believe God in spite of what you feel, in spite of what you can see even. Really, I know it may look dismal. Don't you think it looked dismal for David? Here I've been anointed to be the next king. And I've got a, the current king chunking spears at me. That's kind of a rough day. Chasing me all over. Have to live in caves. That's David's life. That's where this Psalm 18 comes from. That was his life. The enemies he's talking about included King Saul. The current anointed king of Israel was tracking him down, trying to kill him. It's not a good place to be. You have ultimate authority like that. You can do what you want. 
And that's what King Saul was doing. But he had ultimate earthly authority. David had the authority of one greater. Come on, somebody say, I got it. You have the authority of one greater. Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and dark places. You think of it how you wish. You look at that scripture and it says, we have weapons. Have. Currently possess weapons. I can brandish a weapon that cannot be torn down by the devil. I have it. That's why I said to you to say, I've got it. I have weapons that I can brandish that are mighty because they're given to me by God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. So let me finish this up. Fix your gaze on the eternal goodness of God. Seriously. You've got to fix your gaze. You've got to choose. Cultivate a victorious attitude. You've got to choose to fix your gaze on God who is eternal and eternally good. Say, God is good. All the time. He can't help but be good because he is good. Just like he's love, just like he's light, he's good. He's also faithful. He can't be unfaithful. It's an impossible thing for God to be unfaithful. He can only be faithful. He's good. So fix your gaze on the eternal goodness of God. Fix your mind on the eternal faithfulness of God. Fix it. Fix your mind on it. Choose. Tell your mind. Even when it looks bleak. Seriously. When it looks terrible. Tell your mind. No. I fix my eyes. I'm fixing even my mind eye. I'm choosing to believe the Word of God over everything that I'm feeling right now, everything that I'm seeing right now. I choose to believe the Word of God first. Come on, stand to your feet. Finally, fix your heart on the amazing power of God. Fix it on the power of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's come your way. It doesn't matter how much you've been messed with, how much the devil has thrown at you. I know, I, I don't say it doesn't matter in the sense that I don't care. I'm saying it in the sense that however bleak, dark, or difficult it may appear to you right now, God is still God. You are not forgotten, and you'll not be forsaken. It's impossible for him to do that. If you are a child of God, he's got your back. Bow your head and close your eyes. We've already had this altar call. We've already had the altar call for this moment. And so I want you to do this with me. Just want you to lift your hand. If, if you're in the middle of a huge mess and you need God to show up huge for you, lift your hand up. I'm not going to have you come forward now because we already did this. I 
I want you to make this confession with me. And all of you around these people that have their, you can put your hands down. But you, all of us, you can make this confession. Say it with me. I am convinced that God is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or even what I can imagine. I am convinced that God is with me. And if God is with me, who can stand against me? Therefore, I can do this with God's help. I will do this and be victorious. Amen. Cultivate that victorious attitude. Now look, in the middle of our service, before we took communion, we had a prayer time and we asked people to pray a prayer and get things right with Jesus. See, John and Maria are standing there waiting for you. Would you please come see them before you walk out of this building? God bless you. We love you. Have an amazing week. We look forward to next Sunday. Big day for us. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.